Welcome back to What Happens Next, the podcast that examines some of the biggest challenges facing our world and asks the experts, what will happen if we don't change? And what can we do to create a better future? I'm Dr. Susan Carland. Keep listening to find out what happens next. Last week, we began to investigate digital vigilantism, the phenomenon of internet users taking to social media and other forums to investigate crime and serve their idea of justice. In part one, we looked at some of the ways that behaviour can go awry, sometimes even translating into real-world violence. This week, our expert guests weigh in on whether or not digital vigilantism can be used for good and what you should do if you encounter it. G'day, my name's Ginger Gorman. I'm a social justice journalist, cyber hate expert and author of the book Troll Hunting. What do you see as the difference between uh, trolling and digital vigilantism? If we think about the word trolling, it almost has no meaning now. Like we use it in so many different contexts that it doesn't really often mean what we hope it will mean so for example if you go down to the police station and you're a woman who is the target of extreme cyber hate from an ex-partner and you're a domestic abuse survivor and you say to the police I'm being trolled they will most likely from the research I've done not take you seriously the way I now have come to understand trolling is that it's really a spectrum of behavior And it has mild pranks at one end and hate crimes at the other end. So, you know, you might have heard of a Rickroll where someone posts the link of the Rick Astley song, Never Gonna Give You Up, and you think it's something else you're clicking on and then his song starts playing. Like, that's funny, right? That's just a harmless prank. It's hilarious. Even the White House has done it. But then at the extreme end, we see behaviour like what we saw in Christchurch where somebody is using the internet to set out to do real life harm and they're supported by a huge online cohort that eggs them on and they go on to perpetrate murder. So those are not the same behaviours, but I see them as being a spectrum. So it sounds like the way you describe it is that digilantism is trolling with the veneer of justice seeking. I think so. But, you know, we can all... Fool ourselves that we are seeking justice, but really, like if we look at the offline world, there's a reason that we have the justice system and we have courts and we have processes. We're not each taking justice into our own hands because it doesn't work out. Like if you can just go and try to harm someone who's harmed you, what kind of a world would we live in? I personally don't feel equipped for that to be the judge and the jury. And I don't think any of us should be. Like, I'm not qualified in that realm and I don't think most individuals are. Although violent extremism expert Dr Josh Roos of Deakin University is also wary of that eye-for-an-eye mentality, he believes a culture of victimhood is just as problematic. Do you see digital vigilantism and cancel culture as the same thing, as related, as different topics? There's certainly a a relationship, um, albeit poorly defined. Um, I think, I mean, cancel culture, really, I don't like the term, uh, for starters. 
Why not? I think the term's been defined and, and utilised by, in particular, the, the populist right, um, because there are there are times in political debate where some um, some positions are so outrageous um, that you, you should be able to take someone on and uh, seek to sort of prevent that that view being aired. That might be uh, evolutionary, um, um, you know, um, what attempts by evolutionists to replace science on the curriculum, for example, mm-hmm. or, or racism. Um, and so, you know, there is a place, a time and a place for you know, taking on um, highly objectionable political perspectives driven by um, ideology. But on the other hand, um, there is certainly an identity politics that has emerged that um, seeks, uh, there's, some, there's a great paper about it that talks about honour cultures, dignity cultures and um, uh, victim cultures, victimhood cultures. And honour cultures, you know, it's an eye for an eye. Uh, and you see that, and that's by no means the right approach, but it's, it's inherent in certain communities. Dignity cultures, well, if someone hurts me, I'm going uh, to report that to the police and to go through a formal process. But victimhood cultures is, seek to amplify their suffering and they mm. seek to sort of target others um, uh, and, and bring others under the, uh, the microscope for hurting their feelings. And, and so we've got this, um, unfortunately, victimhood culture that drives this sort of approach to cancel people we don't agree with. And, and that is a legitimate problem at the moment in, in terms of political debate. But that said, there's also no space for extremism. When does something become digital vigilantism? Say you say something online that I don't like or even in real life and yeah. I decide to write an angry tweet about Josh Roos or I decide to try to work out where you live and maybe email your employer. Is that digital vigilantism? When does it, when does it tip into, when do acts tip into digital vigilantism? That's a really great question and I think uh, it's an open question because the academic literature doesn't necessarily agree on that. Um, but I'd say that uh, I suppose there's got to be a level of coercion and a power imbalance um, to some extent uh, for it to, to cross that line. Um, and I suppose let me give you the uh, the case of online investigative work done by members of the public that works. And so that might be something like Bellingcat, uh, which is an organisation started and formed by volunteers. And, and the work they do is effectively to use geolocation and uh, facial recognition technology and, and all sorts of other, um, they, they mine social media. To, to uncover war crimes and atrocities and, and everything else. And that's against state actors. And they've, they've really achieved some pretty amazing things. But then you've got someone sitting at home who doesn't like something that someone has said, who then um, says, well, I'm going to expose that person for the, the fraud or the charlatan or whatever they are, and um, actively starts digging up um, you know, that person's name, their family names. And you see this on... Um, Unfortunately, due to the nature of my work, I spend time on TikTok and other other things. And you see people um, seeking to expose people they believe are acting in a, um, for example, uh, licentious manner. Mm. And so they seek to expose them to their family and friends mm. um, and saying, is this your daughter or, or so on? And so here you've got this um, really um, quite malevolent dimension and an attempt to disempower the, uh, the other individual to have them um, rejected by their loved ones and friends and by wider society mm-hmm. without any recourse. There is certainly a place for digital um, investigations and, and so on when there's an ethical framework. 
but not you know, in the context of targeting individuals because you don't like them. We don't like what they've said. Philosopher and Monash University Research Fellow Mark Howard has considered that ethical framework in his research. Have there ever been times where you think vigilantism has, digital vigilantism or otherwise, has actually done some good? So something we need to think about is we shouldn't conflate the notion of um, morality and justification with legality. Um, while often you know, the law might reflect our ethical principles and our commitments, it's, it's not exhaustive in this regard and, and it may even conflict with morality as well. Um, so when we start to feel that um, you know, our social systems uh, are failing basic tests of justice, um, then the obligation to obey laws, etc., um, is diminished. Just because an act's illegal doesn't mean it's going to be immoral. Um, there's certainly lots of cases where it is immoral. Um, looking at old form vigilantism, which still exists, you know, we think about the Ahmed Arbery case. Um, we think about situations like Kyle Rittenhouse, which which really was a translation of vigilantism into civilian policing um, through having tacit support of law enforcement agency. Um, but they, they certainly fail. Um, tests of proportionality and foreseeable harm and moral obligation, etc. Uh, but to, to get round to your question about perhaps examples of good, um, you know, we might think of DV or vigilantism um, being at its best when it makes the state to live up to its promises um, or when it exposes unjust hierarchies within the rule of law. Um, you know, we might think of environmental campaigns um, that sort of release details of uh, unethical company investment practices or, you know, what we're seeing more of now in digital vigilantism is um, responses to sort of racist and anti-immigrant sentiments um, and also exposing how these sentiments uh, are getting a place within our parliamentary systems, etc. Um, so exposing those sympathies, I think, is uh, an example of DV being used for good. And then there's lots of debate around uh, other things such as, you know, Edward Snowden leaking um, documents, um, anonymous campaign to identify a thousand Ku Klux Klan members and things like that. Mm. Certainly on the surface, look to be um, pursuing a moral end. Um, but we really do need to appreciate the complexity of, of vigilantism. In his research, Monash University criminologist Dr Lennon Chang has come across examples of digital vigilantism acting as a force for good, building enough pressure at a grassroots level to create social change. And, you know, uh, for, for some countries, this would be very difficult from, uh, from a top-down approach. But if the bottom-up uh, approach has uh, created uh, public pressure to the to the government, the government might need to do something in reaction to to the the public um, comments or, or pressure. So I would say, in in this sense, that this these are good uh, uh, the the positive examples or positive ways of using internet vigilantism to make our society better. While not being necessarily immoral or justified, um, you know. A lot of DV is full of mistakes, full of unintended consequences. It can be self-righteous. It can ignore the collateral damages that are occurring. It can 
introduce disproportionate harms. Um, but there does appear some good to be um, coming out of digital vigilantism. As I said, um, some of the pushback uh, against right-wing groups here in Australia, I think, is a, is a good example of uh, it having a positive effect, um, highlighting associations between um, views of the right that we wouldn't necessarily find acceptable uh, in our country and how they're getting purchased in Parliament, I think is a real positive um, that we see happening through DV. Um, but having said that, we then need to also be aware of the forms that we, we use with DV. So it, I think for it to be good and to deliver good outcomes, it needs to be quite controlled. This can be really tough to, to come to an adequate concept of. But what we've also got to remember and always got to remember with um, the digital environment is once we put something out there, we ultimately might lose control of it. So, you know, and while we might not be culpable for it, we do have to accept some kind of moral responsibility um, for the outcomes of our actions. You know, that's, that's a key test of professional ethics. You know, I, I talk to my professional ethics students about this all the time. You know, are you being responsible for foreseeable harms, even if they're unintended? And the measure of um, your morality in these situations is that you're aware of them and you take steps to make sure these harms accounted. Say someone sends me an abusive message on social media, a, a, a private message on social media um, from an account that is linked to their real name. If I republish that on my own social media and just say, look at what this person said to me, knowing that that will probably send other people their way, maybe they could even end up losing their job. Do you reckon that counts as digital vigilantism? If it's going to be ethical, it can't be based on the promotion of self-interest um, and it can't be promote, um, promoting the notion of vengeance. So, you know, digital vigilantism with DV at its best will actually push back against things such as hate speech and revenge porn and things like that, you know. Um, but that's got to come from this notion um, that justice has been avoided in this instance and based on an idea of um, promoting public good. So if it's uh, aiming to just make you feel better about the situation, then that comes from a place of self-interest and we might uh, struggle to justify it. So a couple of important questions when you're thinking about responding or uh, perhaps engaging in digital vigilantism, um, you know, are there other avenues, um, are there non-punitive methods of delivering justice in this, uh, in this in instance? You know, will they be comparable in their effect? Um, you know, are the norms that you're promoting with this action um, reasonable? So are they coming from an ethical basis? Uh, you also need to be aware too that Sometimes when we're talking about DV, uh, the actions are likely to be illegal. So you need to be aware of that. Ginger Gorman also believes education is key to reducing harm, but isn't sure that's enough. The first thing I would say is like, there's a troll in all of us. So <laughs> we all need to be kinder online and teach our kids online resilience skills and think about the online disinhibition effect. So like when you're interacting with someone online, it's sort of gamified, 
You don't have a social contract. You don't know the person. You know, you can't see them. Like I'm sitting opposite you now. We're having this really nice conversation. But if you were saying something online I didn't agree with, I would have a propensity to be more aggressive than usual. So it's being aware of that and essentially teaching teaching those skills to our kids, teaching online social skills, if you like, and online resilience skills so we don't get to that. We don't get to that point. I mean, I've got to say, though, you can't in some ways especially blame people who resort to digilantism because the mechanisms are not there online to keep us safe. So if there were good, strong laws that the police took seriously and understood and enforced and investigated, if the courts took this seriously, if the platforms took our complaints seriously, if we were all kinder online, like if the whole mechanism worked, we wouldn't need to resort to that. Mm. Like if you think about the offline world, if I smash into someone's car, for example, that most likely we take each other's details, it goes through insurance, there's mechanisms to sort that out. No one is then going to come and throw rocks through my window and try to murder my children, (laughs) you know. Like that's not how it works because there are mechanisms to keep us safe which don't exist in the online world. So I almost feel like people feel that they have to resort to digitalantism because they aren't given any choices. So is the best way to start tackling uh, the trolling and then the responsive digital vigilantism to just have better internet policies? Like can we policy our way out of this problem? No, it's not one thing, but I guess I see it as a multifaceted problem and it's all of our problem. So, yes, we have better laws. Yes, we have the safety commissioner and she is empowered to help us in different ways. The other thing I've been doing is I've developed like an online intervention. I call it happy trolling (laughs) to sort of counteract when someone's being attacked online. It's kind of an upstanding technique and it works. It's amazing. It works. It's like if you, if I saw you being attacked, which I do sometimes (laughs) online and I, and it was getting out of hand, I would basically step in and do a massive show of support for you. So it's like what we teach kids in the playground to upstand. So I would say, you know, these things, you disgusting things you get called. I would say Susan is being trolled because she's a Muslim and she's copying a lot of hate. Let's support her, amplify her voice and make her bigger. So retweet her, follow her. And then if you're going to talk back to the trolls, be polite and don't be aggressive And then I would also ask people to mass report your trolls. So essentially I'm doing the opposite of what the trolls want. I'm making you huge. I'm giving you a much bigger voice and I am making the troll small and it works. It's incredible. I did it. um, I gave Brittany Higgins some assistance recently with that and it was kind of amazing to watch it happening. Wow. So that makes a difference. It just Yeah, and especially in terms of how the victim feels because what the troll is trying to do is make you feel weak and alone. But if you then suddenly have 50,000 more followers and everyone's retweeting you and mass reporting your trolls, you feel like you're not alone. You feel like, all right, I've got a a crew here. I've got a a friend of mine called them the snowflake crew because you know how (laughs) 
um, trolls love to call people getting attacked snowflakes. So, yeah, it, it's a really powerful um, intervention technique. So, yeah, I, I don't want anyone listening to think that I think we can legislate our way out of this, but we do need, we do need the framework to be safe. But each of us can behave better online, yeah, for sure. Why not give Happy Trolling a try on your own social channels? This is the final What Happens Next episode on digital vigilantism. Thanks to all our guests on this series, Dr. Lennon Chang, Dr. Mark Howard, Dr. Josh Ruse, and Ginger Gorman. Thank you also to the Monash University Performing Arts Centre's David Lee Sound Gallery, where a portion of this season was recorded. If you're enjoying What Happens Next, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share the show with your friends. Thanks for joining us. See you next week with an all-new topic.